Hello, 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 everybody. Welcome back to Sound Perspective. My name is Alfie Faber. Uh, I'm a filmmaker and soundie on Eora Land in Sydney. Uh, on this podcast, I chat to the people in film who combine sight and sound. How fun is that? Just basically anyone who makes interesting stuff. I don't want to brand the podcast too much because I like chatting to everyone in film. It's all interesting. But today, I'm talking to some really interesting and really talented sound designers, Dave Whitehead and Rob McKenzie. Dave Whitehead is a sound designer in New Zealand who's worked on films such as Lord of the Rings trilogy, Arrival, and the recent Dune. Rob McKenzie is an Australian sound designer who you may remember from the previous episode with director Natalie Erica James where they talked about working together on Relic. But um, he's worked on a billion great Australian films. He's worked with half the directors that have been on this podcast, and uh, he won an Oscar for his work on Hacksaw Ridge. However, this episode is all about their work on Jane Campion's most recent film, The Power of the Dog. I could go on for hours about this monumental example of filmmaking, so I won't go into it too much, except to say that it's a kind of psychological drama western set in Montana, and not only is it an amazing film, I think it has the best sound design of any drama I've listened to in a long time. Um, There's a lot of Oscar buzz around this film, and I really hope Dave and Rob get nominated. I think sound design in drama is often overlooked. Films like sci-fi and genre films, they have quite in-your-face sound design. Um, so it's it's easy to overlook more subtle films like this one. Uh, but you'll hear in the interview the amount of work that Rob and Dave put into it. Um, and I think the soundtrack of this film really elevated the drama and tension And seeing it twice in the cinema made me remember why I love sound design so much. Um, Also, I wanted to plug an awesome episode uh, by our good friends, uh, Tonebenders podcast. Uh, They had Tara Webb and Leah Katz on, who also worked on this. So they did a little deep dive into Power of the Dog themselves. Make sure to check that out. It was really good. Um... So, in recording this episode, I went with something a little different, and we did a hybrid interview recording, where I met up with Rob in person, and then we had Dave join us from New Zealand over Skype. Oh, and one last thing, remember that Power of the Dog is now available on Netflix, so you can watch it at home, but if you do get the chance to see it in the cinema, I really encourage you to, it makes it all the better. Uh, anyway, enjoy the interview. So, do you want to start off by telling me what each of you guys, what your roles were on the film? Rob? Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I was um, a sound supervisor, supervising sound editor, and um, I'd worked with Jane before on um, on Top of the Lake, the second series um and we got along really well together and it was a you know completely um wonderful creative experience for me to work with with jane for the first time she's always been a, a 
you know, filmmaking idol of mine um, ever since I saw the piano and then, you know, her other films, inclu including Bright Star. So um, to get the opportunity to work with her on the top of the lake was incredible. Um, and she invited us to um, work on The Power of the Dog. Cool. Mm. What about you, Dave? Uh, I was sound designer for the film and... Uh, yeah, I, I haven't worked with Jane before, um, and I actually kind of really didn't think that I would have the opportunity to work with Jane. I mean, you know, she's just next level, you know, um, and um, I don't often get asked to do drama, so uh, it was just awesome, really awesome to dive into a, a beautiful world um, like The Power of the Dog, so, yeah. Mm. Well, and uh, you as sound designer... Was there anything in particular that you focused on or you worked on in particular? Well, when, when Jane and I first met, um, it was sort of like the interview, I guess, where we, we sort of met at a cafe to see whether you know we got along sort of thing. And, and I was all full of these ideas of the individual characters and, you know, trying to focus on the macro, this uh, sort of stuff for Peter and and uh, the all-seeing all eye sort of thing for Phil. And, and, the, and I was sort of coming, you know, with ideas from the script that I'd read. And she just said, look, just really try and develop the sounds for the world first. So really Montana itself, you know, because basically they're shooting down in the South Island of New Zealand and um, it looks amazing. And, you know, with the VFX ad, and, and you, you, it really does feel like it, you know. Um, but it was really to try and create that world. And then by doing that, then we'll be able to then work on the characters in that world. Um, you know, so ba basically make the bed and then put the characters in it. <laughs> But um, yeah. but it, it was um, there were a few specific things for the characters. Say Peter had a sort of a tick where he had a comb, and he was always scraping yeah. scraping this comb, and that was a you know they had the real props. I, I I stupidly thought it was a metal prop when I first saw it in the pictures. I went and ordered all these combs off the you know the local trade me, same as eBay, um, and um, then it turned out to be plastic, and they ended up sending me the prop anyway in a big box of props. But the other thing was um, we decided early on to really, um, because um, Phil is kind of an enigma, you know, he's kind of this, this character that kind of like, he, he just, he is his own entity, you know, within the film. He's, he's a powerful sort of a, 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 a character. And so we decided to uh, have his spurs separate from the normal Foley and that sort of thing as well. So I recorded them and designed them and sort of worked on his presence of his feet um for the whole film and the rope right cool yeah so i'm um i'm friendly with jess mayer the assistant sound editor on this and she um i said to her what should i uh is there anything i should ask about in particular on this film and she said phil's spurs were a really signature sound did you put so you put a lot of um emphasis on that did you yeah well we actually had um they sent me uh, Bronco Henry, you know, one of the um, uh, key sort of a uh, person in the film, uh, his saddle. Um, mm -hmm. So, uh, and they sent spurs and they sent chaps and they sent um, the, the rope, you know, and rawhide, a whole roll of rawhide as well. Um, the whole skin. <laughs> uh, and and um, so that, that all sort of turned up um, via courier and, um, but 
I really, I've said this before, but I really didn't think <laughs> that Spurs made that ting ting sound every time that they would walk, and it was it was, it was just such a cool thing. Like so, I I didn't um, fit the boots they sent because uh, actors have tiny tiny feet, and I've got huge feet. Um, yeah. So I went down to the op shops, and I'm trying to buy old, you know, the correct bottom uh, vintage shoes, you know, just to sort of really get the right sound um of the heels and then i attached these spurs to my boots and went into a foley room and recorded a whole lot of bits and pieces and moving around around on the saddle and and uh <laughs> putting the chaps on and uh making making all sorts of noises with those so yeah it was um it was great but um the spurs are really something yeah so in an interview i listened to with ari wagner um she said that uh the Thing that really defined this movie for her was how much prep time she had with Jane. Was that um the same for you guys in sound? Was there much prep for you guys? Um, well, I, I guess in terms of um, mental prep, we certainly had that. Uh, we had conversations. I was um, sent mood board, like st- mood boards, like you know, like a um, a lookbook for the film, um, which sort of showed Montana and. A whole lot of feels after for what they they were after, which is really useful. I mean, basically, when I'm working on a film, I just try and ask people for food. You know, give me mind food, so that I can really try and sink myself into this world early. I joined a whole lot of Montana face group book groups, just sort of like <laughs> you know, just trying to find yeah. out more about the the planes and what Montana was like and. Um, just and I really started researching birds and you know all that sort of thing over there as well. Um, mm. But yeah, went down a bit of a Montana rabbit hole because we were going to go and record there. Um, uh, I, when I found out I was on the film, I was going to fly there, but then we got into um, COVID, so in that mm. sense we had an even longer prep time because the film went into a hiatus, and so we got to think about it a lot longer. Mm. What about you, Rob? Did you? get much prep for it yeah well it was conversations with jane and exactly what dave says um you know world building and thinking about how we were going to build um new zealand for montana Mm. um, and doing a lot of research on what montana sounds like seasons um it was a particular focus of mine was how does it sound in in summer versus winter and spring Mm. Um, so in that respect, yeah, we had a, a bit of, a bit of lead time. We didn't have, um, that time that Ari talks about, if, I think they had a year to, yeah, wow. to travel around and, um, location scout and, and all that kind of stuff. So we didn't quite have, um, have that, but we had a little bit of thinking time. Mm, cool. It's, a, it's kind of, it's kind of about like trying to get all the right toys in your sandpit before you start playing, you know? And so, and like, um, I knew that we couldn't go to Montana anymore because they'd stopped all the flights and that sort of thing. And so it was really, okay, what have I got in my existing libraries, you know, my personal recordings? um, uh, Because, you know, it's easy to create the the tussock blowing in the breeze or the grasses and that sort of thing, because we have those things here and it was shot in New Zealand and it looks that way. So it has to sound like it looks anyway. Um, and we, we have winds and we have all that sort of thing. So the basic elements of any that film we, we had, it's really the, the, the signature things that really are quintessentially US Montana, you know, that we're sort of that we're after. 
and we um, you know sourced a lot of that through commercial libraries um, through some great recorders who are doing some amazing things um, mm. there was uh, Thomas Ricks Beverly he did really cool stuff Frank Bry and uh, another guy Tom Hambleton and his mate from Undertone uh, just really um, you know just used a few of those things but they just gave us that little extra edge that was recorded in the right location or Oregon which is next door and um, I'm really curious like Jane Campion she's one of my favorite directors and like I'm curious what her method of communication is like is it very kind of uh didactic and outcome oriented like I want it to sound like this or are the conversations more like a discussion of story and character and drama and allowing you to create something based on those kinds of instructions yeah I think Jane treats she's a really great filmmaker to work with she's because she almost treats us the same as she would treat an actor in mm. that she's trying to get a emotional response from you so she'll sort of sit down you know you might have a cup of coffee and mm. and talk we, we played ping pong <laughs> um you know she's she's interested in what makes people tick mm. um and it's, that's not reserved for the actor or the cinematographer um she she gives us that privilege as well mm. so yeah, we got to have a lot of conversations and she likes to understand what what we can bring to the table. Mm. And she also challenges us a lot too. Mm. So she doesn't accept what we bring as just the regular sound that you'd bring to a movie. She says, why? Right. Yeah. Right up to the very end, right, Dave? She's always saying, so, do, do we you know, this? why are we do, doing do, this? Why, why, why are we why playing we this, this scene like this? <laughs> we should, right? We we, we, and she's drilling down character, 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 mm. focus, 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 mm. and and tapping into us as creatives, um, and bringing, you know, challenging us mm. emotionally um, to to bring something to the table. Very inclu very inclusive. Like you know, really empowered anyone in the room to you know have have their opinion on why something should or shouldn't be there or if it was working and that sort of thing. So I, I really think everyone in the room, you know, uh, in the mixed theatre was really part of the, you know, the team. So it, it's not just the Jane show. She's there with her team of, of people and, and she gets the most out of people. It's really cool. That's awesome. A kind of random point I wanted to talk about. I I was lucky enough to see this film twice in the cinema and I think it might have been the only film I've rewatched in the cinema because I saw it for Sydney Film Festival and then after we organized this interview I decided I wanted to see it again because I was saying to Rob before the interview the first time I watched it I was just like completely immersed in the story and I wasn't really kind of focusing on details that we'd be able to chat about. So I saw it again and I realized how many things I had missed in the first viewing in every aspect of mm. like the cinematic construction of it. And I realized what like a nuanced and understated piece it is in every mm. way. And was that something that you were, I guess, looking to do in the soundtrack? Were you wanting to make something kind of subtle and understated? 
if Dave, correct me if I'm wrong, because we didn't really have these discussions, but I'm I'm always led by the director, and I completely completely led hundred percent. Mm. And Jane likes to take you on that journey. So <clears throat> that's exactly where we ended up. But I'm not entirely sure how we got there. Mm. Um, I, I think the, the, the thing is that the, the visuals and the edit um, was so inspiring in the first mm. place. Like if you, if you sat and you watched the film and you didn't have sound and that sort of thing, you'd have a feeling for how it should fit, should sound and should feel from how sparse it is, from the be the beautiful images, from, you know, just, um, I, I, there's just such a great rhythm in the pictures and there's just such a great um, uh, depth, you know, like the, that first shot when Phil's walking across the farm and we've, we're looking out the window of, of um, Burbank Ranch uh, and we, yeah. he, he's just walking across frame. It's the first time we see him in the film. And <clears throat> when, I, when I first watched that, I went, okay it's 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 gonna be amazing <laughs> it was just and it was just the one shot i saw and then i saw some cows sort of you know on the distance going over the grass and over the plains and and it was just like okay this is just visually stunning so but those sounds they evoke you know that that the other fuel to tell us how we should make this film sound and you've got to come up with your own interpretation and we did so you come up with your own sound interpretation of the film and then we um, play that to Jane. We did go a bit over the top, didn't we? Um, and a bit Rob, where um, we, we decided to sort of play with a bit more sort of, um, not heavy sound design, but kind of like sort of telling sound design when you bring in the sort of soft rumbly sort of tones and that sort of thing when something's feeling dark. And and, and she said- Oh no, uh, you did that fantastic. Remember, remember Dave, so, sorry to interrupt, that, that amazing sound design piece you did in the dining room? Yeah. That's right. That was um, connected to the windmill. Oh, that's right. Yes, we had the windmill and that it was, was going and that was sort of the windmill got louder and it was so good. Mm. Um, and that and then but Jane just constantly steering us in a particular direction and I think that's why it stands up to repeated viewing. Mm. Mm. Right? Cuz you don't necessarily get everything on the on the first on the first view. Mm. And you get something different when you watch it with an audience, mm. and that's that's the hand of a great filmmaker mm. that can that can take us and lead us in that direction, and and we feel part of the part of the family when when we can, you know, throw when we can kill our babies as well, um, <laughs> and get on board, right with with. with with the director's vision and I think it's all it's all of all of those sacrifices all of those details all of that thought process um that makes it stand up to repeated viewing mm. that makes me want to go and see it again that make when I saw it for the first time mm. I saw it completely differently I saw it with completely different eyes mm. watching it with a with a packed audience mm. um and I I totally got the all everything that Jane was going for. Mm. Um, it was yeah, really a unique viewing experience for me. Mm. And I think that's what makes it a great film. 
<clears throat> I mean, what a cast as well, though. I mean, you know, the cast are just so so good. Each each one of them, and, and you know, the the watchability of the film, you know, it's because of the nuances in their performance as well. You know, and and I, it's one of the only films I've worked on in a very very long time, where I, every time I watched a scene, you know, working over and over in a scene. I, I I didn't get bored of it ever. Like I just want I I could watch it again tonight. You know I could probably watch it. You know, once a year. I don't watch a lot of my films that I work on again. But <laughs> uh, but this one I I could gladly watch again easily. It's um it's interesting how you talk about go you talked about going over the top because something that's always really interesting with period films I find is. Uh, how they choose to depict historical events. Is it going to be, like, grounded and authentic, or is it going to be kind of stylized and heightened? And this one was very grounded and authentic, I found. It was that kind of that take on period films. Was that a conversation you guys had, like, uh, about how much you wanted to stick to reality in it? I think we knew that we needed to arrive at that place where we had the reality under the hood, so to speak, so to speak, you know, so we needed to have that groundwork of, you know, the, the birds, the, the right atmospheres, uh, the cars, the correct cars, um, and, and all of those sounds that needed to sound just, and actually just because of the, the quality of the images and the, the extreme close-ups they have at times, it just lends itself towards that sort of treatment and great foley, you know, it's sort of, really trying to focus in on those those effects and just get them absolutely right you know just the small little things get them completely right um yeah and uh tara webb she worked on this as well um uh doing the effects and um you know we tag teamed on a lot of the reels um but um she did an amazing job as well um uh, there's a sacred place sort of a pool of of water where he goes and swims and um <clears throat> Uh, we both did work on that, but um, she came up with some beautiful sounds for that second second scene there. Um, uh, beautiful ambience and the water, but it's just, it has to be right. And then the score comes in, and then when the score arrives, sometimes there's no need to focus on the sounds. We can draw all that away and just feel that music and feel the a few things that sort of tell the story, help tell the story. But um, it gave us... A great emotional device to have that music mm. sitting there and, and um, you know channeling the um, the feel of the, the the film. It's just it's an amazing score. That, that first piece that he's playing, playing the cello uh, yeah. as a guitar, is a beautiful piece. And it, yeah, is that is that cello that um yeah it's rip- cello is a so he's plucking it. Was, is it that cello? No, no, no. Oh, okay, no. right. Uh, for this is an audio medium. We're pointing at a cello that's <laughs> in the corner of Dave's, um, uh, Rob's studio here. Um, but right, that's really cool. Um, well, I'll love to talk more about the music. But, but Dave, but, but, for but you. on on that, you know, if we're going to talk about the music, I think that's music and sound. We both started, you know, back to your earlier question we both started relatively early mm-hmm. so uh johnny was composing the music based on the script mm. um and was working with jane and pete Chivaris, the editor to create the the world of the music mm. uh likewise we were creating the sound design 
we'd seen images and we were working to, to images, but they were compiling our our sounds and putting them in the edit alongside Johnny's score. So Pete and Jane were able to sculpt the soundtrack um, as we were working, mm, mm. which is something, you know, just as a, I don't know if the listeners are interested, but that's something that we really try and encourage Yeah, is filmmakers working with the soundtrack early on. So by the time they get to the final mix, they know what they've, you know, they know what they've got mm. and so, there are no surprises. So it wasn't a matter of just being handed uh, uh, the edit and being like, hey, do the sound design to Right, this. you've got X yeah. amount of weeks to do the sound. No, they they could keep cutting the picture, you know, for as long as they wanted to keep cutting the picture and it wouldn't affect mm. sound and music. Yeah, cool. Um, well, I I heard that Johnny Greenwood's score, he wrote pieces in advance and mm. it was edited in, um, mm. which was amazing mm. for how well those compositions right? suited Incredible. the images. Based on conversations and 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 readings, not yeah. not visual. So yeah, inspiring. Mm. So I guess what um what was and another thing about the music is it's so textural in mm. like the way he chooses the performance of the instruments. So what was it like kind of trying to complement such complex score already with the sound design? I, I think that he he already thought about the world in in the sense of being sparse and mm. and so therefore we kind of all came to the same place like he probably imagined what that world sounded like from you know there's going to be a wind there's going to be that sort of thing um there was actually great sound recording from Richard Flynn in the first place so the, any guides that he would have heard when he first heard the um uh the film or seen the film um would have been inspiring as well but oh actually that's right he wrote those pieces before he even saw the film though didn't he so yeah <laughs> but um yeah i i just i just kind of think that um perhaps his music even helped inform the edit like how that flowed in some ways i'm not sure i guess they had the way that things were going to flow but they had that music earlier you know they were editing it in right from the start which was an amazing thing for them um mm -hmm. It felt so attached when I saw it. I thought, "What's this temp music, boy? They're gonna, you know. I hope he's gonna write something like this, <laughs> you know." And then I found out, oh, it is him. It's like, oh my gosh. Um, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> um, but that actually coming back to something about um, Richard Flynn, just um, the sound recordist. Um, yeah, just the the material he captured for us was amazing. There was it was beautiful. Um, there was really great coverage on the the. They had all these cows shooting these scenes with the cattle and stuff, and that stuff was amazing. Um, and then um, what Leah Katz does with that as well, the dialogue editor, um, uh, you just don't even think about the dialogue. It just happens. <laughs> and it's usually, you know, there's a lot more sort of drama going on, but um, she's just a cool, cool cucumber, and just it all just it sounded really great. Cool for cats. <laughs> <laughs> And for you, Rob, what was it like working with that temp score? Well, not temp the score itself, but the his pieces. Yeah, well, we, I mean, we were getting the pieces as they were being recorded and, recorded and sent in and 
edit it in. It was, uh, we were kept a little bit separate, I think. And I, I you know, I'm just thinking about it now. Mm. Um, I think that was probably deliberate. Mm. Um, Jane was probably wanting to see what both camps could bring to the table. Mm. Um, having a, having a vision in mind. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think we, we, I mean, obviously we were both listening to each other's work. Mm. So it happened yeah. just by osmosis because we were hearing what Johnny was doing and he was hearing what we were doing. So it just, it just worked out that way. There wasn't, um, a whole work process, mm. um, involved in that. He, he, yeah. He's also, he's also a rock God. <laughs> so he probably well, he probably yeah, doesn't we, need to meet lowly soundies <laughs> intimidate us oh yeah johnny's stuff yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's all right <laughs> <laughs> well um i did want to bring up the dialogue because it sounded amazing that pretty much the whole time did you mm. like did you guys have to do much adr uh you'd have to ask leah Katz about that but the one thing i'll say about the adr is um, how amazing Jane is is work w with working with the actors. Mm -hmm. So there was, um, you know, loop group. We'd normally do, you know, get extras in to say, you know, walla walla, yada yada, mm. whatever. Mm. But with Jane, every extra was scripted really? and directed personally by her and really? then painstakingly edited by her and Leah. Wow. Every single line. She directed you know, the loop group. Directed the loop group. That's going insane. through every take and, you know, swapping them out and coming back to it. Wow. To make everything 100% authentic. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, that's the level of detail that she went into. Yeah. And the same with the Foley, you know, mm. every footstep. But, you know, every line from an extra was, you know, oh, what about that take? Oh, what about that? You know, mm. scripted. Yeah, you know, written, scripted, directed, edited, mm. um, and 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 Leah goes into that kind of detail mm. with Jane. Uh, as far as uh, ADR for technical, mm. um, again, we we sat, you know, in here with Jane and went through every line mm. and discussed whether or not we should ADR it, why we would ADR it, um, mm. should we just ADR it just in case or not. Mm. Um, Every line in the film was gone through with Jane to assess whether or not we should do it, uh, yeah, and why we should do it. I think I, I think I remember Leah saying, you know, that it was, you know, right from the start, it, the 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 modus operandi was that you they would be using the performances of the actors where completely, you know, any time it's possible, and it would only be for an absolute technical reason that you'd want to um, change it out, or if it's an off-screen character and that sort of thing but um there was a real kind of um i don't know honoring the performances of the actors because jane's all about the act you know all about the people all mm. about the actors and mm. and every and, and the crew and everyone that's working on the film yeah mm. have you had many do you get many directors uh, sitting in on loop groups i thought that... no no i I, right, cool. I think more directors should yeah because I think, you know, it's super important to get that, depending on what kind of film you're making, but yeah. authenticity should be key. Mm. So, so sure. But, but no, that was, that was a revelation to me when, 
you know, when Jane, Lyra and myself were sitting here going through all of those takes and what a difference it made. Yeah. To the scene. Mm. You know, it's that it's that scene when they're in the kitchen with the cowboys, um, when, oh, when yeah. Phil, they are wondering where Phil is. Mm. Um, you know, but the maid's making eggs and, mm. you know, where's Phil, you know, whatever. Normally it'd be like, you know, pass the salt. Mm. Yeah. Not with Jane. Right. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. Do you, do you guys, I guess it depends on the director, but do you guys like that level of oversight from a director? Love it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it's oversight. It's actually just means they, they know what they want and, it's a great thing. It's a really great thing if someone can give you direction. Um, I also like going in and trying to do your own interpretation, but it can all uh, turn to custard when they hate all, everything you've offered and they throw it all out. You know, so so you know a bit of direction goes a long way. Yeah. Well, yeah. The ideal scenario, right, Dave, is when you can be given a brief, go off, do it, and nail it. But I think it's really important to to get frequent and constant um, viewings of your work. Yeah. yeah. I think, yeah. you know, as, as in what we do, it's super important mm. to, 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 to put your cards on the table to say, this is what I've come up with in one day. Yeah. You know, and not be embarrassed about it. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, you brought it up briefly earlier, Dave, uh, Phil's comb. And it was something that I wanted to, like, ask about specifically because it's not just, it's it not is, just, it is. sorry? It is oh, yeah, I said Phil's comb, didn't I? Yeah, I always forget the characters in movies, but, yeah. Um, Phil doesn't comb his hair. No. He's <laughs> <laughs> too manly. <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> um, but Peter's comb was... It was something that was very clearly written into the script because it played such a huge part of that character's, like, develop, like expressing who he was and his, like, nervousness and tension. But I was curious whether there were, like, how often in the film was it written in that that sound would be present or were you guys ever, like, peppering in that sound without prompt no there were definitely moments where it was warranted and where he was actually acting that so you know where he had it in his hand and it was actually part of it so it wasn't like an off-screen sound that we put in it was actually meant to be what he was doing at the moment so um uh, yeah and actually you could hear it in the t in just in the um the uh, location material mm -hmm. but we just did a more sort of beefed up version um of the comb for those moments but yeah, I mean, there's that. I mean, you know, there's other things. There's um, uh, Phil's always rolling cigarettes and smoking and flicking matches and that sort of stuff. And, you know, so recorded some matches hitting the ground and lots of new match strikes and that sort of thing and trying to get the right match strikes because of the age of the matches. And uh, <laughs> and then the rope. But the rope was actually the real thing that really... Um, I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a rope. It's, you know, it's... Um, yeah rawhide and i recorded a whole version of because i've never made a rawhide rope of, of course mm. um, <laughs> but um i didn't realize that you know the, the rawhide had to be damp or you know moist and supple and that sort of thing yeah. you know and i had the dry stuff and so i recorded the whole first versions quite dry 
and then so that was wrong it really didn't work it wasn't moist enough and jane heard that and then so i got the feedback and then i had to moisten this um uh rope and then i was braiding it when it was moist and that wasn't right and honestly for the i started doing it really early the rope and it took me right to the end of the film to get it right i kept recording new things going and buying handbags from down um down at the uh, op shops and uh buying all sorts of things to cut up in the leather and and yeah. putting vaseline on 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 leather to make it more gooey and and all that wow. sort of thing and in the end kind of uh it's subtle in the mix it's right back in there but it it's is. but it's it the subtle. but it's the right thing <laughs> so uh so i got the raw hide and um uh as well and um you know was, there was the scene when they were scraping the raw hide so i scraped uh raw hide as well with uh with a knife that was that was pleasant um mm. but yeah um anyway yeah the comb <laughs> Yeah, cool. It, it sounds like um, you did a lot of that Foley type stuff. Was, was there much material you guys got from Foley artists as well? Oh, there was a great deal. Yeah, they yeah. they did a lot. I I only focused on a few individual things that I really wanted to to get. Um, I really wanted the yeah, as I said, the spurs and all of his boots. So anytime he was walking on wooden surfaces, the creaks in that house because the house is a character. You know, it kind of it feels like we should make it a character, and so Jane said, "You know, well, we probably you probably want to be doing his feet, you know, sort of thing." And so I was like, "Okay, I'm doing the feet." Uh, yeah. And so you know, he walks up through the hallways, and um, yeah, it was it was quite. I used a thing um, for for the soundies out there. I used a thing called Radium, which is a, um, a bit of software out of Soundminer, a sound library software. But this thing called Radium is a sampler where you can put sounds into it. And then you can trigger them via a keyboard, and I did a lot of the performances with that, and some of the horse feet with um, with radium. Oh, that's cool! Because I think I know, like I know that that is kind of the poor man's foley. Uh, that that radium, like I think I know of. I have friends who use it when they can't afford like proper foley recordings. So. Oh, I wouldn't say that. I, I would say it's it's it, it sounds. Uh, depending on the amount of work you put into that patch, so I spent a lot of time recording a lot of different samples of all the different feet, all the different textures, scuffs, heel, toe, flicks off of the feet, that sort of thing, and had it so one patch would walk like a human walks. So you know, um, but then with a whole lot of subtleties, um, with other patches that I put in, and it, it was really quick to do, you know. Um, and that's not taking away from Foley because Foley is, you know, you cannot. <laughs> Foley is amazing, but this yeah. this was something I wanted to experiment with. I had the mm. time to do it, and um, it was right for this particular character and this particular task that we were working on. Mm. Mm. So Mario Vaccaro, um, who was the Foley artist, did all of that um, work as well. And then we, we would layer that with with Dave's radium work. And, yeah. you know, in the mix, we'd decide which, or, or often it was a blend. Yeah, yeah. Um, so um, uh, where was the mix done? I've, I forget the name of the mixer, Rob. No, not Rob. What, what's his name? Did you mix it? He was the, he was yeah. the mixer. Oh, <laughs> sorry. I'm going off what... 
I'm going off IMDb, and on IMDb, Rob is uh, just supervising sound editor. So I thought someone else had mixed it, but you mixed it, Rob, right? Yeah, with Tara. Yeah, cool, cool. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, in fact, Tara was mixing the Foley and 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 Dave's radium work mm. um, together. Yeah, right. Um, where did you mix it in Sydney? Here? Uh, we mixed it at um, uh, Definition Films or Spectrum Films. Oh, okay. Um, at Fox. Cool, 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 cool. Um, and I'm glad I know that because I... I was I wanted to talk about um like stuff being released on streaming now and how mm. that affects your work as a mixer and I guess also for you as well Dave like how does it affect the both of you knowing that a majority of the audience might see it on like their home TV maybe even a phone and maybe people are watch like when when something's a Netflix original, it's quite likely it'll be watched at home more than a film that you would have mixed like twenty years ago. A, a person who's into sound will have, you know, a decent sound system, and you know, will listen to it in, a, in an environment you know where, where it sounds sounds good. Um, I would say the general populace listen to it through their TV screen. And, yeah. and, you know, that's how they're used to hearing films anyway, so they can only compare it to everything else that they watch. Um, mm. You know, so I, I, I don't mind. I mean, the, the films should be seen on the big screen, but unfortunately in these times it's, it's been hard for everyone to do that and um, people are still nervous about going to the cinema, unfortunately, mm. for cinema owners. Um, mm. But, um, yeah, uh, I, I think... It's, it's, it's really interesting. I, 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 there are a lot of people that don't even really like a whole lot of surround stuff. I had a conversation with a person and, and, and he hated anything in the surrounds. Anything there at all. He just really didn't like it. And um, Well, it's funny, right? The big speakers are up the front. Yeah, yeah I know, exactly. But it's fascinating. But I, I think half the population probably feel the same way. And it was a really interesting thing because, you know, I, I try not to go too nuts. <laughs> Firing yeah. things out the back. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, what's it like for you mixing something and uh, being conscious of like how people, where people are gonna watch it? Uh, I, I don't know. It's it, it mixing's a dark art. I I try to you know I've got I've been round and round and up and down trying to work that question out. Mm. Um, and now I just say what sounds good. Yeah. Yeah, you can only trust the room that you're in at the time. And you can only do the best with the material that you have. Not even, not even the room. It's, it's, you know, a case of the power of the dog. It's like, I was really worried that we were mixing to the room, mm. right? Because I've always been very scared of that, where the director says, you know, no, no, quieter, quieter, no, no, get rid of all that. And I'm going, oh yeah, but when you get out in the real world, you're yeah. not going to hear all that stuff. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm always having this battle and in recent years, I've just been leaning into it, just saying, you know what? Sounds good is good. Yeah. Mm. There's a, there's a noise floor. It's always the noise floor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and on the power of the dog, we, you know, I leaned into it as much as I could mm. lean into it. And I, a really good quote on that, I think was when, um, no country for old men came out mm. and, Skip Leavesay said they were doing that light bulb scene. 
Mm. And, you know, one of the Cohen brothers, they were arguing about, you know, unscrewing the light bulb. Mm. And and the director saying, you know, lower, 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 lower. And, you know, Skip saying, well, you know, come on, we make it any lower, anyone with a noise floor isn't going to hear it. <laughs> yeah. And... Ethan or Joel, I'm not sure who was directing, said, um, well, then it doesn't matter. Yeah. Then they're not going to get it anyway. So yeah. who cares? Yeah. Yeah. So I think at a certain point, you know, you really just have to lean into that, mm. Mm. you know, and we, we did a bit on Power of the Dog and the, at least the screening I went to, it paid off. You know, people were on the edge of their seats. Mm. Mm. actually listening mm. yeah i guess that what it comes down to the thing that i noticed how like how just kind of muted and understated the mm. whole film is and it wouldn't right. have been that way if you had mixed for someone watching on their phone on a bus like yeah, but even if you're watching on your phone on a bus mm. the phone's pretty good you can yeah. kind of hear that detail yeah I think we'd underestimate our audience a little bit. Mm. Mm. Um, at least as a mixer, I know I'm guilty of underestimating the audience. You know, mm. you kind of want to hit them with it. Yeah. Um, yeah, you don't need to. Mm. People are listening because if they're engaged in the story and if the directors, you know, in the sound department are all doing their thing and you're directing everyone into what they should be listening to, People can lean in and hear it, whether it be on a phone or, you know, in a cinema. Mm. Mm. Well, that feels like a very profound point to wrap up. So, um, well, do you guys want to talk a bit about what you're working on now and what you guys have coming up? Um, well, um, I have a few things coming up. I've got, um, I'll be working on uh, Avatar coming up. Um, cool. And um, I'm also working on uh, two Korean alien sci-fi films uh, coming up oh. as well. Um, and awesome. uh, the films, uh, I think the first one is called Running Title at the moment is The Moon. But it's, um, yeah, it's exciting. I, I, I work with a place called Live Tone out of um, um, Seoul and, um, yeah, great team there at Live Tone. Mad. And what about you? Um, it just finished, um, George Miller's 3000 years of longing. Yeah. Which, um, awesome. Is, yeah, just an amazing experience working with a yeah master filmmaker like George. Yeah. And, yeah. Feeling the love. So, <laughs> yeah. It's been incredible. Very cool. All right. Well, both of you guys, thanks thank again so much uh, to Rob and Dave me. for chatting with me. It was a great time. And thanks to the good people at Netflix for helping organize this interview. I'll catch you guys later.